This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, 1955 was a great year for a lot of Americans. I've actually, in some of my teaching, have talked about how great things were 50 and 60 years ago. Because in 1955, church attendance peaked. Church attendance was roughly at 64%. Today, it's in the 20% here in America. Those numbers are real fluid. And, and so they're, they're, they're very good guesstimates and estimates. So in some, for some of us, it's kind of a romantic time and a time that, that we either reflect upon with fondness. But in 1955, things weren't great for every American because African-Americans were still under the oppression of the Jim Crow laws and segregation and unequitable education. So on December 1st of 1955, a 42-year-old seamstress named Mrs. Rosa Parks decided she wasn't going to give up her, her seat on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And she was arrested for that. Within a few days, the African-American community, they gathered together the various sects of leadership groups and they said, we need one voice to be the voice of the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. So they identified a 26-year-old preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. And he became the voice of what started the civil rights movement here in our nation. And so tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And in a church service like this, we never want to glorify a man. We're only here to glorify Jesus Christ. But we want to acknowledge this national holiday and its implications Because Martin Luther King Jr. represents millions of people. He embodies a whole generation of people who said this. The way things are shouldn't be this way. The way things are today are not ideal. And so God and his sovereignty raised up this preacher to become a voice that represented many, many people. And you see, our community wasn't untouched by this. Because in September of 1957, just two years later, there was an elementary school in Nashville that, that was bombed by, by dynamite, by white separatists who, who were upset that just one black student was enrolled in that, in that school. And so they put dynamite to this school right here in our community. In 1961, during the sit-ins, a hundred Students in Nashville, Tennessee were arrested because they dared to sit in the wrong place in a restaurant. You know, that wasn't very long ago. It wasn't very long ago. And so we lived in a nation of, of great um, dichotomy that for, during that time period, it's a very, very difficult time and In Montgomery, Alabama, during that time, 26 pastors were arrested. 26 pastors were arrested. And I thought about my life, and I thought, what would I be arrested for? And would I be arrested for you? For your right to ride a bus, for your right to eat where you want to, for your right to be educated. I don't know the answer to that question. But I know this is that millions and millions 
of brave, courageous people use nonviolent protests. And the church use nonviolent protests to fight against a system and a way of thinking and a thought process that was demented but had become the norm. And so with that, there's millions and millions of stories of how, how equality has emerged and it's continuing to emerge. The, the story's not over. Millions and millions of stories in the last 50 years. One of the stories of my life, I almost am embarrassed to tell you about it because it's really not a big deal. But I think it's an example of, of the, the millions of stories that we've all experienced. In 1987, uh, I was a seventh grader and we had cheerleading tryouts. Uh, and these poor little 12-year-old girls had to go in front of our whole student body and we would vote on them. Uh, that is just a horrible thing to do. I, I hope they don't do that anymore. Wow. But so, so all these, all these kids would come and we voted and it was a big deal. And I remember later on that day when they were going to let the votes come that one of, one of my coaches, he was a, a, a white guy and he, he gathered some of the students and they were just in anticipation hoping that the first African American cheerleader would be voted in our school. And she was. And everybody was so happy. I mean, what, what a trivial story in some ways, but it's not at all for that little girl. And it wasn't at all for the students there. And so thousands and thousands of times, millions and millions of times, the civil rights story in our nation is unfolding. It's still unfolding. And as God's people, as God's people, as follower of Christ, the Lord wants you to be aware of your responsibility in connecting with his vision for racial equality. Peter, uh, Peter ha- was at Cornelius' house, and later on you can read all of Acts chapter 10. And there in Cornelius' house, he was, he was praying one day, and he had a vision. And in this vision, that he was supposed to eat unclean birds, he said, Lord, I'll never do that. And as the story unfolds, God used this experience to tell Peter that Gentiles... Non-Jewish people had every right to the kingdom of God as his special chosen people. That the rules had changed. That the gospel were for all peoples, not just for some people. The gospel was inclusive. And for those of us in here, and I would guess it's most of us who are not pure Jewish descent, this is great news for us. Because the gospel message is a message of equality. The gospel message is a message that calls us all to realize that God loves all people and all races. And he has opened the door for us to follow his example. So that story unfolds in chapter 10 of, 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 of uh, Acts. Let's look at verse 34. And it says, then Peter began to speak and he said this. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. This is, this is in the NIV. I don't know if it's in the NIV there. I was going to get back to the King James. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, now I intentionally put the King James Version because in the King James Version, this, this is one of those phrases. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of, of the, uh, let, let's go back to, the, I'm in Acts 10, 34. Uh, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. 
That's a phrase we like to use a, a lot. We like to use the phrase, God is no respecter of persons, a lot for selfish reasons. Like, if God blessed them with that house and God blessed them with that car, he has to bless me because God is no respecter of persons. Well, that, that's a nice phrase, but that's not truly what it meant. It meant God doesn't respect people's nationalities or race. He loves them all. The kingdom of God is for every person. It's for every person. So Peter learned this lesson and he learned this lesson and God sent it to him in a vision. And through Peter, he was one of the first people to, with his teaching, and with his vision, to break the power of prejudice in the New Testament. To break the power of those who were Judaizers. To break the power of those who, who thought the gospel was just exclusive just for a special people. Now, let me just make a qualifying statement in the future. I, I have high respect for the Jewish people, and I believe that they still have a covenant with God. And so this is not a replacement theology that I'm talking about. I'm talking, though, about you and I and the implications of that, that biblically God has set the, the, the tone for you and I to follow, that he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't elevate one race in the gospel kingdom above the other, that every person is loved and special to him. This was a radical change in Peter's thought process. Peter, an apostle to the Jews, this changed everything for him. And he explains this, this later, and he says and, uh, it became this defining story. And again, we won't, look, we won't look at these scriptures, but he talks about this again in Acts 11. He talks about this in Acts 15. You see, the story of Peter learning that God was speaking to the Gentiles as well as the Jews became a defining story in the early church, anyone from any nation can be saved. Every person has a right to the cross. Let me tell you, that's the heart of God. The heart of God is opportunity for all, equality for all. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. And so the God we serve and the God we follow should be the God we emulate, should be the one who is our example. And so we go at the end of chapter 10. And it's a remarkable scripture here. The remarkable scripture for those of us who are charismatic or come from a Pentecostal background. This is a scripture that is, is part of our defining theology. But we, we have focused on one thing instead of the overall message of this. And in and, and verse 42, it says, He commanded us, uh, all of these things are, all of these scriptures on, um, uh, um, Jeff, all of these scriptures are in the King James Version, so if you can convert those to NIV, that will be helpful to us if you're able to do that. Um, so listen closely, and hopefully you have your Bibles open, but my Bibles, my, my scriptures at NIV in verse 42. I don't know, Jess, with the Gideons here, if I decided to be King James, because uh, you guys love the King James so much. It wasn't that intentional. Uh, but in verse 32, he said, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Think about that. Everyone who believes in him. Now, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And 45, the circumcised believers, those are the Jewish people who had come with Peter, was astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just 
as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this is incredible that what happened in Acts chapter 10. Peter, who's a leader in the church, gets this vision. His vision is that the gospel is for the Gentiles too. And then at the end of the chapter, God confirms that vision with this supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They all spoke in other tongues. And that confirmed to people that God is not a respecter of persons. He's treating every person the same. Every person has access to the throne of God. You see, I'm sharing this scripture with you. And I'm sharing what God says. Because some of us, we have family. We've inherited things from our family. And we've inherited attitudes from our culture. And we've adopted language that the Lord doesn't want us to have. Because God is not calling us to be exclusive people. He's calling us to realize that His Spirit is being poured out upon all flesh. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. God's perfect design is racial unity. God's perfect design is racial unity. The greatest revival of the last 100 years, the Azusa Street Revival, God used in the, in the era of of, uh, of racial oppression. He used a, a African-American name, man named William Seymour to lead this revival. It's, it's one of the least appreciated historical figures. You see, because the power of the Holy Spirit says the game has changed. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. The Spirit is poured out on all people. And one of the manifestations of being Spirit-filled, Spirit-saturated Christians is that we of all people should be the least racist people. As spirit-filled, spirit-empowered Christians, we of all people should be the most inclusive people. You know, the message of equality and the message of inclusiveness should not be relegated to political parties. It should not be relegated to social active groups. It should be led by the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church of God. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That's what happened at Azusa Street. And that's what's happened uh, throughout throughout the last 120 years, excuse me, 110 years. And we should be aware of that. That is God's plan. God's plan is for there to be uh, racial equality. Now, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 8. And uh, in this story, we started in verse 5. He says, when the Jews, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. So here's a non-Jewish person asking for help. Lord, he said, this, I'm in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, now verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and terribly suffering. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And, I, and to that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In verse 10, and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said... To those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now look at verse 11 here. This is God's plan for racial equality, his call. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
in the kingdom of heaven. He was talking specifically for those of us who I am, who I am a Gentile, I'm a non-Jew. And Jesus, he, he broke the rules. He spoke against the system. He spoke against the old covenant, which that was uh, only assigned to one nation, one tribe, one people. And he said, the rules are over. The gospel is for everyone. The kingdom of God is for everyone. And going on in Revelation 5.9, Revelation 5.9 says this, and this talks about what will be. Revelation is a, a uh, talk about what will happen in the future. And some of the most beautiful words uh, of the Bible are here. And they sang a new song. This is us in heaven saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. There, that is a vision of what heaven is. That the kingdom of God is for every person, for every tribe, for every language, for every nation. That's why we have a call to missions. That's why we partner with the Gideons to get the Bible out. Because we must go and tell. Because that is what's going to happen in the end. That there's going to be representation because of our obedience to the Great Commission. To uh, There's going to be representation from every single people group. In heaven. So as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Let it be the as it's going to be in heaven, let it be in our attitudes. As it's going to be in heaven, let it be in our, our actions. As it is in heaven, let it be with our words. Let all of us understand what God's vision is. But here's the truth. You might have had experiences before where you said, I'm not going to participate in racism. You might have had experiences where you abandoned your family tradition. You might have had some um, some cognitive recognition that uh, racism is wrong. But if you're not careful, and the reason you need to hear this message today, and the reason our church needs to acknowledge Martin Luther King Day, is because if we don't, are not careful, our hearts will drift. Our hearts will drift very easily. Write that down as number two. Our hearts easily drift into racism. Why? Because we are sinners. Why? Because we are less than ideal. And if we're not careful... If we don't keep our actions and our attitudes and our hearts and our jokes and our our carefully chosen labels, if we don't keep them submitted to the cross, if we don't keep them operating under the Holy Spirit, our hearts can drift. Remember, Peter, the one who initiated change, the one who initiated this uh this new gospel, this new thing that's for both the Jew and Gentile. Well, let's look at what happened to him in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul writing, starting with verse 11. And it says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now, is that not a very uh, bold statement? He opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. Well, let's see what happened. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcised group. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. You see, racism is hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jewish by birth and not sinful from Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ and 
And, um, and so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the work of the law because the work of the law, no one will be justified. So he said, listen, I oppose Peter to his face. The very one who was the leader, the very one who received the revelation, the very one who initiated the change, the very one who God confirmed through, over time his heart drifted. Over time... Paul had to oppose him to his face because he stepped back into old habits. He stepped back into the old system. He participated in the way things used to be. And as your pastor, my challenge to you, as you reflect upon this teaching today, as you reflect about tomorrow and you reflect about the civil rights movement in this nation, realize that the work's not done and you're part of it. The work's not finished, and we as the church should be leading participants in what God is doing in our nation and what God is going to do in heaven. And as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. It says each of us is responsible for our own attitude and actions towards different races. Each of us is responsible for our own attitude and actions towards different races. Everyone's responsible. Listen, you might have come from a region of the country that, that, that used, to, um, used to use segregation, just like Tennessee, is that it was part of that. You might come from a family where you highly respect your grandparents, you highly respect your parents, but on this issue, they're wrong. And the things and the attitudes that were around your dinner table growing up, and the jokes that were participated in, they're wrong. And they're wrong for you to participate in. Don't step back in to the old way. Don't step back in the old system. You make the change. You choose. You choose your attitude. You choose your words. You choose what your participation is. And none of this will happen without prayer. Prayer is what will change everything. You see, because our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are dark. Even King would write about that. Martin Luther King was a very well-educated man, a Harvard graduate. And through all his journey through liberal theology, in the end he made a conclusion that the heart of man is sinful. He wrestled with all the different theology in the end. He, he said, of all the things I've seen, I've seen that the heart of man is sinful and they need a savior. And racism and racist attitudes and racist, racist jokes and racist policies all remind us that we need a Savior and we need Jesus. Can we all pray together? Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.